Well, last week, uh, we, uh, we jumped back into this uh, sermon series, and we looked specifically at the uh, idea that we're created uh, as God's people uh, and just as His creation to be image bearers. Uh, we're not image uh, originators, uh, but we reflect the image of God, or we reflect the image of culture, the world. Uh, as much as uh, you and I would like to think that we are just uniquely us, and uh, it's something that kind of we've derived and created, uh, our own tastes, our own wisdom, our own preferences, our own styles, uh, we are all in reality a reflection and a response to outside events uh, and forces that are outside of ourselves. Uh, the way that we have seen life and experienced life and felt life, and we've responded to those things uh, based on how we've been educated, how we've been raised, um, the way that we just observe life. We make our decisions and respond to the life that comes at us over the course of our, our decades, our years. Uh, and if we are today a reflection and a response to the many things that we have seen over the years, the things we've experienced, uh, this means that we've been formed into who we are today. We've been formed. I've been formed into the Joby you see today. Uh, culture, God, uh, God's words, uh, experiences, uh, those things have formed me over the years. And if that's the case, what that also means then is that I can be transformed into something else. If I've been formed up to this point, that means I can be further transformed into something else or changed, you know, maybe not completely radically, but uh, I'm going to be transformed. I have the ability to be transformed. I'm not stuck with where I am today, because that'd be like saying I was stuck where I was 10 years ago, but I'm different today than I was 10 years ago. So if I'm different today than I was 10 years ago, that means I'm going to be different in five years, 10 years. That means I'm going to continue to be transformed and molded into something that is different than what you see today. Granted, a lot of holdovers, uh, but I can be transformed if today I am the result of formation through my life. So today what we're going to be looking at is how transformation actually happens. We talked last week about how we see that it's through beholding God, and we're going to see specifically more how the beholding of God actually transforms us. Uh, so allow me to pray. We'll jump into God's Word together. Father in heaven, you're a holy God, and uh, we know that uh, even in the Old Testament we see uh, stories like uh, Moses, who just got a glimpse of your backside, and it transformed him. Uh, even physically, his face shined when he saw just a, a, a part of your glory, and uh, for us it's no different, Lord, when we behold your glory when we see who you really are, when we see what you've done for us, when we see who we really are apart from you and without you, and then we see who you are and what you've done, it just, it, it changes us. Very similar to how when we first would behold uh, our future spouse, we start dating them, falling in love with them, and it just starts changing us because the influence they have in our life. It's just how people, having kids transforms us. It is no different than with you. As we get to know you, we behold you, we learn about you, we fill our minds and our hearts with the knowledge of your son Jesus and what he's done for us, it transforms us. 
It's the solution for the problem of sin. The problem of being stale or empty or feeling condemned or being hopeless. The solution is beholding you. Teach us how. Teach us how and help us to have the strength and discipline to follow through with what we know we are to do. Help us, O Lord. We are weak apart from you. We need to abide in the vine. So help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to start off by reading the same verse we did last week, uh, but it's not the primary verse that we're going to be uh, kind of unpacking a bit. Uh, but I'd like to read it because there's two words in here that I want to have be our jumping off point. Uh, and then we're going to be going into uh, another uh, section of Scripture that will be kind of the main thing that we'll be uh, kind of uh, swimming around in today. But Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1 and 2 again. Uh, we looked at this last week. We looked at this in week 1, which was the beginning of the year. Uh, this is Paul saying to the Roman church, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the two words that I want us to take particular notice of in this particular text is the word transform and the word conform. Both, of course, in English have this, this word form within it. So they share this, this root word. To form something means to make it into a pattern or make it into a mold of something. You form something to make it look like something, into a certain shape. Now here, this phrase of being transformed, that's the actual process. We're, when we're in process of being formed in something, we are being transformed. And then Paul uses the word to being conformed is the actual result. We're transformed, that's the process, so that we can be conformed in a final product, a final goal, transformed so that we are conformed to a certain image, a certain pattern, a certain mold. While we're being transformed, we're patterning ourselves, or really more rightly saying we are being patterned or molded into something. We're in the process. So you're either being transformed into the image of God or you're being transformed into the image and reflection of the world. But we are patterning ourselves or really being patterned as we are beholding things, pursuing things. We're being patterned and shaped into the image, the mold of those things. The verb here is passive, meaning that this is something done to us. We are being transformed. You're not the one who does the transforming. You're, being, you're receiving the transformation. So Paul doesn't say to go transform yourselves into the image of Christ. He actually says we're, being, we're to be transformed, receive transformation. So the tense of that verb is important. We recognize that being transformed is something that happens to us. It's something that happens outside of us into our life. And we are to be transformed into the pattern, into the mold, the shape, the image of Christ himself. Now, how does this happen? This is where we'll be landing is looking more at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
uh, verses uh, 16 through 18, primarily here. Here's what Paul says about transformation. He says, when someone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Your, your blindness is removed. You see all of a sudden. Your eyes are opened. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, speaking to believers, with unveiled face, we behold, we're beholding the glory of the Lord. And we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So this is a process. As we behold the Lord, we're being, we are being, it's happening to us. We're not doing it ourselves, sitting there working on ourselves, transforming ourselves through self-help and all these things. No, as we behold the Lord, we are being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to the next. So this is a gradual procession. It's not this instantaneous, oh, my sin is gone. No, we're being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to the next. And then he says, for this comes from the Lord, not from within yourself. Not from your ability to have such great self-discipline and read so much of the Bible and go to church so many times a month and all these things. No, this comes from the Lord. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ given to you to seal you for the day of redemption, to be your guide the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells now inside of every single believer who's been born again, that spirit that's in you, he is the one who transforms you from one degree of glory to the next as you behold Jesus. And he, there's a lot more to it uh, in the following verses, but I want to skip down to chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, For God, the same God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, when speaking of creation, that same God who has light shine out of darkness, light came out of nothing. That same God has shown in our hearts, when our hearts were darkened, the veil was over our eyes, we're walking dead in our sins and trespasses. The same God who said, let there be light in the physical creation, said, let there be light in the spiritual creation. So the same God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has also shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's how we see the glory of God, as we look upon the face of Jesus Christ. He's unveiled us, church, so that we can see the beauty and majesty of Christ himself. We see who this God really is. He's not a God hidden in the heavens. No, he's a God who became flesh and blood and bone so that we can see him and behold him. So we can know his ways, his heart, his love. And so he says, God, the same God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that same God shown in our own hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of this very Jesus Christ, the, the knowledge of the glory of God. So now your sanctification the big word just means change. You're, you're changed. The way you're changed, the way you're transformed, the way you're made holy begins the day that your eyes are unveiled. The day that you first saw Jesus. Maybe a, a bit blurry. You know, maybe you didn't grow up in the church and you're hearing all this kind of Christianese and all of a sudden you're going, I don't really get this, but I want this, this guy. Whatever he did, I want that. 
That's the day that your transformation began. The veil was taken away. The veil was taken away, and you started seeing light through the fog. And now, since then, since that day, he's been transforming you from, from one degree of glory to the next. Now, sometimes you get frustrated, don't you? You're going, I want to be in this degree of glory. I I'm still battling. I'm still battling this particular sin. I'm not there yet. But, but church, listen, God's word says that the day that you first saw Jesus, when your veil was taken away, the process of transformation being done to you by the Spirit of God began that day. And it's been going on ever since that day. From one degree of glory to the next. Maybe not in the speed or depth that you want, but it's been happening. It's been happening. It begins when we first turn to the Lord, as Paul says. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When you're born again, that process begins. Now, we have to, I mentioned that this is something done to us, but we also, we have a responsibility in this. We have to turn ourselves to the Lord. We have to turn our faces to the Lord. We don't just walk around, the Lord just like, you know, like, oh, hey, there's the Lord. Like, we have, to, we have to make a choice to look at Jesus. We have to make choices throughout our day. What are we going to behold? What are we going to cast our eyes upon? What are we going to allow our hearts to become warmed up to? So we have to turn ourselves to the Lord. So look what he says there, 18. We all with unveiled faces, we behold the glory of of the Lord. So we have to behold, we have to look upon, turn our eyes to the Lord and behold the glory. Now, this word for transformation that's uh, in the Greek here is the word uh, metamorphomai. You can tell where that comes from or what it turns into in, in English, right? Is metamorphosis. You very quickly think of a caterpillar who goes through metamorphosis and turns into a butterfly. Now, a caterpillar doesn't just sit there and go, you know what? I'm come butterfly today. Right? This transformation process, this metamorphosis, is something that just happens to him. Or she, whatever. Her. It. So this, this caterpillar is just going out through life, and all of a sudden, metamorphosis. It starts transforming. And the end goal of that transformation is to be conformed into the image of a butterfly. Well, this is something that happens to the caterpillar. And for us, we go through this transformation with the end goal is to be conformed into the image of Christ. We start out as one thing, dead in our sins and trespasses, enemies of God, but the end result, the, the metamorphosis for us is something completely and radically different from caterpillar to butterfly, but it is a process that happens to us. Now for us, in our transformation, again, we have to make the choice to behold we have to turn our eyes towards him. But the work that is done is done by the Spirit. But again, it says, it says, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The work is the work of the Spirit. The work comes from him. And one of the things the Spirit does is he leads us and guides us into truth. I think I, that phrase is in probably 99% of my opening prayers before we jump into God's word every single week. I usually always end with my prayer saying something like, Holy Spirit, would you lead us in your truth today? Because we need the Holy Spirit's leading if we're going to see with unveiled faces the glory of God in the face of Jesus through the scriptures. 
This is why I pray that every week. We need the Holy Spirit to shine light into our darkened minds and hearts. This is why I pray that every single week. Because I know the power is not in how eloquent my preaching is. The power is in the Spirit of God working in our minds and hearts. So if I come up here and just preach in my own power and strength, I mean, the Lord can still work through whatever, but I know that the power of preaching comes through the Holy Spirit who is working in us. Without the Holy Spirit working in you, my preaching is just vain. It's nothing. It's just a nice little talk on Sundays. Right? But with the Holy Spirit working in our, our minds, our ears, our eyes as we read the Scripture, that's where the power of transformation through hearing God's Word be preached, that's where it comes from. Right? So we know that this is a work of the Spirit that changes us. It's not the work of great worship songs or powerful preaching. That's not, that's not how it works. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So going back to 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God, the same God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit, what he does is he's our worship leader. He leads us in the worship of Jesus. He points us to the face of Jesus, points us to the glory that we can behold in the face of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's job is to glorify the Son in your hearts. His job is to reveal to you sin so that you can turn your eyes from beholding sin and turn your eyes towards beholding Jesus. That's his job. He's our guide. He's our worship leader. This is ironic because he himself is God, but he, he wants the Son to be exalted. And so the Father and the Son have sent him into our hearts to lead us and guide us to see the beauty of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So let's look at what the beginning of this transformation process looks like. Um, I know I've shared this story before. I shared it when I was in Zambia, so I'm just going to share it because there's a point to it. Many of you guys know that when I was five years old, on career day in kindergarten, when asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be a black policeman. That was my real honest answer. Uh, I wanted to be a black policeman when I was younger. Um, there was this black policeman that was at our bank, and he was always just the nicest guy to me. Policemen, when you're young, can be intimidating. Right? They've got guns, they've got badges. This one guy was so nice to me, so I thought, I want to be like that guy. Now, I, sh I shared this story on this trip to Zambia because, you know, they always get a kick out of that. And, um, and, and then, you know, one of them, there, after they got done laughing at me, they said, but, and I said, now, it didn't go well for me because I'm, you know, I'm still white and I'm not a policeman. And they go, yeah, but you're a Zambian now. You speak our language. And so, uh, so they always have a good time with me. But, but then I say to them, I know that's a, a silly story, but you know that God's word actually has a similar silly story because there's a point to it. There's one verse in uh, Jeremiah Jeremiah says, can a leopard change his spots? Can a leopard just say, you know what? I don't want spots anymore. Clearly the answer is no. Then Jeremiah says, it's actually the Lord speaking through Jeremiah, so it's the Lord actually asking these questions. Can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Or what I posed to the Zambians that day was, you know, likewise, can a Zambian change the color of his skin? Or can a five-year-old white boy change the color of his skin? Clearly the answer is no, that's not possible. And then the Lord says, neither can you who are a sinner, accustomed to doing sin, all of a sudden just choose to be this great good person. It's not possible. Something has to 
transformed. Something has to change dramatically. And so I asked the Zambians, I said, so, so truthfully, I mean, if you're to like give me the, your best answer, how can a leopard change his spots or an Ethiopian change his skin or how can me, how can I become a black policeman? And they thought thoughtfully and they just said, well, you'd have to be, or the, the, the leopard or the person, the Ethiopian or you, you'd have to be born again as something else. The leopard would have to be born again as a cheetah or a panther. I would have to be born again as a Zambian or an Ethiopian. The Ethiopian would have to be born again as a European. But the answer is, it's impossible. You can't just transform yourself only through a supernatural transformation. If you are somehow able to be born again as a completely different creature, then you can change. You see where I'm going with this, right? Church, without Christ, without the Spirit of God transforming us, we have no hope for change. We have no hope for change. Only through an outside transformation process, a sinner saying, I want to I become more holy, I want to be sanctified, I want to be transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. Like, good luck with that, unless you are born again as a brand new creation. And that is the work of the Spirit of God. The good news for us is that we're not leopards desiring to change our spots or Ethiopians desiring to change our skin, but we are sinners who God has redeemed by causing us to be born again, unveiling our eyes, breathing the Spirit of God into our hearts, making us alive, making us brand new. And so now we actually have hope to have change and transformation and power over our sin because of this thing that happens to us. In Ezekiel, Chapter 36, verse 26, the Lord says through Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart. I'm not just going to dress up your old heart. I'm not going to polish it up. No, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove, remove, not change, not upgrade. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a living, breathing heart. And I will put my spirit within you, and I, I will cause, because this is the work of the spirit, not us, I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the work of the spirit. He's going to take the old thing out, crucify it, and put in something brand new. The leopard all of a sudden has changed his spots, but not by his own self, but by the work of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you probably maybe thought of this verse as I've been talking. Therefore, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's been born again, brand new. Not dressed up, the old dead man, not putting makeup on a corpse. No, you're brand new. You're brand new. You're a new creation. Yes, you're still dwelling in this, this tent of a body, but your spirit is brand new. You've been given a new heart. The old has passed away. The old man is dead. He's been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live. It's Christ who lives in you. Behold, Paul says, the new has come. I know many of you don't feel that way. You don't feel very new. But we have to start with belief and trust in God's word that yes, 
we've been made new. The new has come. All of this, Paul says, again, all of this is from God. Not from your own working out of your own sin and discipline. No, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we see that the Spirit of God has done a tremendous work in beginning the work. He made us new the day that you were born again. He started the work of transformation by first giving you a new heart and a new spirit. So the Spirit has begun this fantastic, amazing work. And guess what Paul says in Philippians 1.6? I'm sure of this, that he, God, who began that same good work of transformation, is going to bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. So the one who started the transformation is going to bring you to full conforming into the image of Christ. He's going to do it. All of this, church, is from God. It is his promise to you. That he began this work by putting a new spirit, a new heart in you, and he's going to finish the job. It's going to be from one degree of glory to the next, maybe a little slow for what you like. You're going to stumble along the way. You're going to make some mistakes. But you can know and be guaranteed that the spirit will do this from one degree of glory to the next. See, justification, when we're first forgiven, that's God's work for us, and sanctification is God's work in us. Justification is the work that he did for us to cause us to be able to be born again and be adopted, but then sanctification is the work that he does in us, the continuing work. He doesn't just save you and do a work for you and then say, now you've got to do all the work. Hope you make it to the end. I'll see you later. No, he says, I'm going to do this work for you to save you, but I'm also going to work in you to get you to the finish line, and I'm gonna do it. This is my job, I'm gonna do it. I'm sending you my spirit, he's the one, he's your helper, he's your guide, he's gonna lead you into all truth, he's gonna convict you of sin, he's gonna point you to Jesus. We're gonna get there. Together, we're gonna get there. Now I know that the part of sanctification, I think that can be very frustrating, uh, confusing, maybe challenging for us. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys ever feel, I know I've felt this way many times, that sometimes you're a little bit later in your faith, you've been working through sanctification, you're growing, and you kind of start realizing, you know, I've got a lot more sin than I thought I did. And I thought, aren't I supposed to be getting better? <laughs> I feel like I'm getting worse. You ever feel that way? You're just going like, have I always been this bad? <laughs> this is what it's like, though. Here's what happens. You walk into a, a darkened room, low lighting, Right? It's like having a veil over your eyes. You look around, you go, this place looks nice. You know, restaurant, whatever it is. All of a sudden, the veil is removed. The dimmer switch starts coming up in the room. You start noticing some things in the room, like there's some dust collecting over there. Like, oh, well, that thing's out of place. Well, that thing doesn't look like it's been washed in forever. Now, was that stuff already there before you saw it? It was already there. But what the Holy Spirit does, what removing the veil does, it starts showing you the depth of what really needs to be worked on. You start seeing how far from God you actually are. It's not new sin that all of a sudden arrived. It's just that now you see it. Now, by God's grace, he slowly starts bringing that dimmer switch up. He doesn't just flip on the lights like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Whoa. You know, uh, he just slowly brings up. And maybe it's one room at a time. You kind of, and you think, oh, I got this room in order. Then you go to the next room, ah, oh, this room too? Are you kidding me? But the Lord slowly just brings this up. It's not, he's not showing you anything new. 
but he's starting to reveal to you. This is one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to, to, to show us these things so that now we know what we're working against, what we're fighting. Now we see the flesh that needs to be killed. Before we were just walking in blindness and just living our lives, not knowing that all these, the sin is actually active in our flesh. But all of a sudden, this dimmer switch starts coming up. I know maybe for some of you that analogy itself is getting you a little anxious because you're going like, oh man, there's a lot worse in my life than I thought, or maybe you're starting to think about some of the cleaning you have to do at home, I don't know, but, uh, but I know that when we hear that thought, we just go, yeah, that's, that's kind of my experience. I, I feel like I've not progressed. I feel like I'm getting worse sometimes. How come I, I feel like I'm just like treading water barely, barely able to keep my head above water. The thought of having more sin in us than we previously thought is a bit paralyzing, suffocating, it's discouraging. We think to ourselves, man, if it's been five years, 10 years, 20 years, and I'm still battling, like, what's the hope? I know it's easy to feel that way. But this is why, this is exactly why, church, it is so important, so important for us to firstly believe that you are a new creation in Christ. We have to have that be our starting place because, listen, if you're just the same creation and all of a sudden the dimmer switch comes up, man, that is, that's a hopeless feeling right there. Right? If you're the same exact person, the same exact makeup in your spiritual being, and now God just flips the lights up, and of course you're going to feel condemned. Of course you're, you're going to feel hopeless. All of a sudden you see more sin than you thought you had and, and you're just left to yourself and your own power and strength and self-discipline. That's a terrible existence. That's a terrible existence. And, and, and I say that from experience. I know that feeling. I, I live in that often where I just look at this, this mountain of sin that just needs to be still crushed and demolished. I'm going, I, I feel hopeless and helpless against it. To have the knowledge of this sin that was previously blinded from me and that not have the power or the ability to do anything about it? No, no, that's not how it is though, church. That's, that's not at all how it is. You're not an old creation with new problems. You're a new creation with old problems. That gives us much more hope. See, because the blood of Jesus... The gift of the Holy Spirit does not just simply free you from the penalty of sin, the justification part, but because you're a brand new creation, you're now also freed from the dominion of sin, the power of sin. Imagine, imagine you're, you're in prison and you get wind that you've been exonerated. It, you, your, your sentence has been commuted, whatever it is. The guard comes in and says, hey, guess what, I've got good news. You've been exonerated, you're now declared innocent, but we're not gonna open the jail cell, sorry. What would the point of that be? To have the freedom, you're freed from the penalty of sin, but not the dominion of sin, the power of it to hold you. That's not at all what the blood of Jesus does. Because we're a new creation, we're not just freed from the penalty, but also the dominion and the power of sin to actually enslave us. We're no longer slaves to sin. We've been freed. If the Son has set you free, church, you're free indeed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom from sin and from death. Sin no longer has power over us. 
not just in principle or legal status before God, but in actual power, it does not have any dominion over us. If you're free from the penalty of your law-breaking, you're also free from the dominion that that penalty has over your life. You're free to walk out of that prison cell now because you've been declared not guilty, because you're a brand new creation. You don't have that penalty of sin hanging over. You don't have that, that sin record. Colossians says that record has been nailed to the cross. So why are you still sitting in your prison cell? Why do we still sit in there and just mope and we just, we just complain and we just get so guilt-ridden and condemned when the prison cell's actually been opened for us? We actually have the power through the Holy Spirit, the ability to crucify the flesh. We can have dominion over our sin because the Son has set us free and so therefore, church, we are free indeed. The Holy Spirit doesn't just shine light in your hearts and show you all this extra work that needs to be done and just leave you to do it. That's not how he works. But because you are a new creation, we now have the ability not just to see the sin that was very happily hiding in our flesh and in the dark parts of our hearts, but now we have the ability to actually fight the sin. We have the ability to actually be free from the sin. Now, yes, sin still is at work in your physical body. That is true. And that's going to be the case to the day you die because... You've done lots of training. You've trained this body to sin. And now there's a war going on. There used to not be a war going on. But all of a sudden, the veil's removed, the light's turned up, and now there's a, there's a battle going on inside you. The new spirit, the brand new self, is battling the old flesh. And so it's going to go back and forth. And you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. And you're going to feel like you're not gaining any ground. Your sin is still at work, but... It also doesn't just magically go away when you become saved or born again. Matter of fact, as I mentioned, you're going to see maybe more of it than you even did before because you have new eyes, you have a new heart, you have new sensitivity. Things that didn't bother you before, you notice that one? Things that didn't used to bother you before within maybe a few weeks or a few months, maybe a year or so, you're just going like, you know, I, I don't really like talking like that anymore. It's just, yeah, it feels weird. I don't really laugh at that kind of humor like I used to. I don't know what happened to me. I'll tell you what happened to you. You're being transformed. You're a new creation. You're actually, you're actually fighting against the flesh. But being a new creation doesn't just make the sin go away. It just, it just all of a sudden starts the war that's going on. It's, it's like a, a new tenant that moves into an old dilapidated house. right? The previous owner or renter just ransacked the place. It's a dump. Right? That's what you've done to your body through the years of your training in sin and worldliness. You were conformed to the image of the world for however many years it's been, and then still, even today as a Christian, you're still being influenced by the world. So you have this house that you've just ransacked. You've not treated it well. You haven't done the upkeep. All of a sudden, the old man gets evicted from the house. The Holy Spirit moves into the house. Guess what? There's work to be done. It doesn't just go away and everything spick and span. But the Holy Spirit, from one degree of glory to the next, he starts working. First, he starts maybe a new coat of paint, then working on some mold issues, some plumbing, some electrical. But one bit at a time, from one degree of glory to the next, he starts transforming the house and has that house eventually conformed into the image of whatever he sees, whatever he wants this house to be. There's an end goal, but this is a work 
in progress, the transforming work of the Spirit, moving into a dirty, filthy house called your body. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be happening. But, but this new tenant comes in and opens up the basement door that hasn't been opened in a long time. Oh, that's, that stinks. Right? So all of a sudden, the same God who said, let light shine out of darkness, opens up the basement door of your hearts into the attic of your minds, starts exposing things. Things that have been hidden away for a long time, old hurts, old pain, hidden sin, all these things. But the Holy Spirit says, this job isn't too big for me. This job is not too big for me. I've been sent by the Son and the Father, and I, as God, I'm going to go into this old, beaten-down house of sin, and I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to transform this body, I'm going to transform this person into the image of Jesus the Lord. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Because of the cross, church, your sin has been defeated. It's been defeated. However, while we're still in this life, your sin, though it's been defeated, it will never surrender. Even though it's been defeated, it's like the analogy we use for this current age, the post-D-Day, but before V-Day. The battle's been decided in your own heart. You're a new creation, but you're a new creation living in a not-yet-glorified body. So there will always be a struggle. But the good news, the good news is this, church. There is a difference between reigning sin and surviving sin. It's one thing for sin to live in us. It's a whole other thing for us to live in sin. See, before you were born again, you just, you lived in sin. You lived in sin. Sin was ruling and reigning in your life. Now today, as a believer, born again, you still, you, you battle sin. And I'm not saying it's just even like little sin. Like sometimes you're battling big sin. But what you can know, even if that sin feels like it's reigning in your body, it's ruling, you can know factually, if you are born again, that that sin is not ruling and reigning. It might put on a show and act like it, but you can know that truthfully, Jesus Christ is the one who rules and reigns in your heart. And so we take comfort knowing that though before we lived in sin and had sin ruling and reigning in us, now... We have still sin living in us, but we ourselves are not living in sin. We have sin that is still surviving and struggling to stay alive and fight, but we can know that that sin is not ruling and reigning. It can't rule and reign because Christ is the one who rules and reigns. Before we were born again, we were powerless, totally powerless. But now that we've been born again, given the Holy Spirit to seal us and empower us, we now have power over our sin. And this is the work of God. Look what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now, this is how he closes out his letter to the Thessalonians. He says, may the God of peace himself, God himself, sanctify you, transform you completely to the end and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Paul says, 
God will do this work. He will surely do this. He who has called you is faithful, he'll surely do this. Now, it doesn't mean we just sit around passively. Oh, God's gonna do it, I can just sit around and just wait to be transformed. No, we have an active role to play. We need to turn our eyes towards him. We need to look upon him. We have to do the work of fixing our eyes on Jesus, knowing that it is his truth that sets us free. Knowing his truth is what sets us free. And just as Paul tells people in uh, 2 Corinthians, as far as evangelism goes and ministry goes, we cast seed, we water, but we trust God for the increase. We also, with our own hearts, have to do the work of casting seed and watering our own hearts, but then we trust God for the increase. We look upon Jesus, and then he transforms us. But we have to do the casting of seed and watering of our own hearts. We can't just sit around passively going, oh, God's just gonna increase in my life. No, he works through us looking. A farmer doesn't just wait for the increase, just hoping that, you know, that tomatoes and potatoes just pop out of the ground. No, he goes and he casts seed first. Now, he doesn't just simply trust in his own seed casting. He knows he can't control the weather or the rain, but he casts seed and he waters, and then he trusts God that God's gonna give an increase. But first, the farmer has to behold the work that needs to be done. And so for us, we don't just sit around. We said, no, I, want, I, need to, I need to learn how to turn my face towards Jesus. I need to learn how to behold him. I don't just, and I don't just trust in my own ability to behold. I trust that if I behold him, that he's going to work in me and transform me from one degree of glory to the next. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So what that's saying is that if he began the work and he saved you, he caused you to become born again, he foreknew you and chose you to be his and adopted you, he also predestined you to be conformed, to, to have the job finished in your life into the image of his son. This is God's promise to us. And we keep in mind that the goal of all of this, church, is not to just become better people. That's not what we're after here. We're not looking just for life improvement. We don't want to be conformed into the image of morality. That's not what we want. We don't want to be conformed into the image of self-righteousness, looking like good Christians. No, we want to be conformed into the image of Christ. And that's very different than just being moral people, being good citizens. See, because Jesus didn't just act righteous. Jesus actually loved righteousness. He loved purity and holiness. It's one thing for you as a Christian, or as a human being, as a person, to do what's right because you know it's right, which I think is how a lot of us respond to life. Well, I'm going to do this because I know that's the right thing to do. It's a whole other thing to do what's right because you love what is right. Or you, the options just don't even, they don't even tempt you. You're just going, why would I even do that? I, just, I love righteousness. I love purity. So we don't want to be made in the image of morality, just doing the right thing because we know it's right. and whatever. No, we want to be made in the image of Christ who loves righteousness. And that's a work of your heart that can only be done by the Holy Spirit himself. Lots of people can become moral people on their own, right? There's a lot of self-help books out there that can help you kind of fix a few things. 
put a little bit of lipstick on a pig, so to speak. But you're going around still a dead, empty sinner who just kind of looks good, looking righteous. We don't want to be conformed into the image of morality. We want to be conformed to the image of Christ, and that takes a work that we cannot do. That takes a leopard changing his spots. That takes the work of God causing us to become born again, brand new creation, not the old creation dressed up a bit. It takes heart change, and the only thing that has the power to do this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the glory of God in the face of Jesus, beholding that glory, that beauty, and being mesmerized by who he is. In this day and age, we want quick fixes, slick presentations and methods, some kind of one, two, three practice to change our life. And we think, hey, hey no, I, I know I need the gospel, I need Jesus, but I also need this little gimmicky thing to really fix my life. But no, the gospel alone is the power of God for transformation. The gospel alone, it's the fuel that powers our transformation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the word of the cross, the gospel, it's folly, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, those who are walking around in darkness. But to those of us who are being saved, who are being transformed, who've been born again, we know that the word of God is the power of God. We know the word of God, the gospel, is the power of God. Other people laugh like, eh, I know, yeah, I need church, I need God, but I really need to figure this out. No, the, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, being in that transformation process, we know that it is the word of the cross that actually has the power to change us. We know that. I'd like to uh, just close with uh, just an amazing section of Scripture, um, one I wish I had more time to go into, but I wanted to at least close with it. Maybe in your own time this week, uh, you can go into this and really meditate upon it. Uh, but next week... Um, we'll look at particular ways that God gives us for us to actually behold the power of the gospel, the, the means and methods that God uses to actually transform us from one degree to the next. Uh, but I want to kick off next week, really, by preparing our hearts with this particular truth from 2 Peter chapter 1. You can open there with me uh, because it's a longer section, 2 Peter chapter 1. Um, but I want to kick off more or less next week's sermon that we can just leave meditating on this truth that God has truly given us all that we need for transformation. I want to I leave here today with that in mind. You, you walk out this room and you say, God, you've given me everything I need to be transformed. I gotta, I gotta believe that. I gotta believe that. So here's what 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says. It says that his divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things, everything, that pertains to life and godliness. Church, everything you need for life and godliness, God has given it to you. Through, and here's how. How does he give it to us? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. The word of the cross, the gospel, the promises. And here's, here's why he does this. So that through them, through what? Through those promises... Through the word of the cross, through the gospel, beholding the story of the gospel, the amazement of the gospel, through those things, you can become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped, freed from that prison cell, no dominion over you, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. You have the power over sin now. 
For this reason, make every effort. This is the challenge that Peter has. Make every effort. So we have to do the work of of focusing on Christ, turning our faces towards Christ, looking upon and beholding him. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness. So you're not just sitting around waiting to be transformed. No, make every effort to look upon these things and pursue these things. Steadfast with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and they're increasing from one degree of glory to the next, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten. Guess what he's forgotten? Guess what he forgets? He forgets that he was cleansed from his former sins. He forgets that he is a new creation. The enemy church will rob you of your transformation process by convincing you and helping you forget that you're a new creation. He wants you to believe that you're still the old self. Because if he can get you to see that, you become so nearsighted, so focused in on this sin issue that you forget that you're a new creation. And all you're doing is just focusing on your sin. And you're going, ah, I, just, I can't believe all this sin. And, and you're, you become ineffective because you stop believing in the power of the gospel that has worked in your life. So he says, pursue these things, the knowledge of Christ, so that you don't become so nearsighted that you forget the bigness of Christ and what he's done for you. So therefore, brothers, in light of all that, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. In this way, there will be richly provided for you an, an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then this next part I see as my mandate as a pastor, as a shepherd, as a friend, as a husband, as a father, but also our mandate as individual Christians, your mandate as a member of this church, this is our mandate, verse 12. Therefore, because this is true, because we become nearsighted, because we forget we're new creations, I intend always to remind you, to remind you of these qualities, though you know them, I know, I know you know the gospel, church. I know you know the gospel. But I intend always to remind you of these qualities, even though you know them and you're established in the truth that you have. We have a good, we have a mature church. But that doesn't mean we're moving on from the gospel because we become nearsighted very quickly. The enemy comes in and he whispers and he discourages and he makes you ineffective. I think it's right, Peter says, as long as I'm in this body, as long as I'm still alive, as long as I'm still the pastor of this church, I think it's right as long as I live to stir you up by way of reminder. Not coming with new teachings and new things to make us interested and build our brains up. No, I'm gonna remind you, as long as I'm alive, I'm gonna remind you of the same old thing that you know, but you need to be reminded of. Since I know that the putting off of my body, my death, is going to happen soon, Peter says, as our Lord Jesus made this clear to me, I'm going to make every effort so that after my departure, after my death, you will be able at any time to recall these things. He's going, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to die soon. But I want you to be able to carry on what I have reminded you of. 
so that you go and you remind other people of those very same things. I know my, my death is coming, but I hope that when I'm gone, you guys carry on the work of the gospel. This is what Peter's desire is. His job, he believes, is to remind them constantly of the power of the gospel and the fact that they are new creations in Christ. This is why I half jokingly call myself not the CEO of our church, but the CRO, the chief reminding officer. That's my job. My job is to be a worship leader every week. I, I lead us in the worship of Jesus by God's grace, by reminding us, myself included, who Jesus is, what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are uh, I, at least for myself, sometimes I, just, I feel um, I don't know, I don't know what the word is, but it's kind of stupid sometimes. Um, I just feel like I just need to be reminded of the basics. And uh, you know you, I get through life, I, I grow in different ways. And uh, I just remember and, and reminded all the time that I, I need to be reminded of the basics all the time. I will never graduate from the basics. I'll never graduate from the gospel. I'll never graduate from the need of hearing of who you are and what you've done for me, how you've changed me, how you've saved me and caused me to become born again, how you're at work in me, how you've promised to stay faithful to me. I'm never gonna graduate from those truths, and Lord, help us to not become so proud in our theological growth and our sanctification that we feel like we've moved on from those things. Help us to always just be in awe and wonder so we don't grow nearsighted and forget what you've done for us. We don't wanna be conformed in the image of self-righteousness or morality, but into the image of your Son. Help us, O oh Lord. We need you. We thank you for your faithfulness towards us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray and ask all these things.